Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, May 13th, 2015. Folks, don't forget to bookmark WeekendVigilante.com and sign up for the podcast by clicking on that big pink button on the right-hand side. It is a direct link to the podcast, and you can sign up and follow it there. Folks, I'm very excited to introduce my guest today. He's a regular on the show. He is an amazing apostolic minister of the gospel from GodIsNotReligious.net. He's the author of many amazing books, such as The Sinner's Prayer Gospel, God Is Not Religious, Who Are the Aliens? He's working on another book that I can't wait for, The Counterfeit Church, and you know him. It's Dr. Danny Morano. He's a good friend of the show, and he joins me tonight to talk about the key that most Christians are missing when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Dr. Danny Morano, welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming back on. Well, I think what you just said is very pertinent. I think that is the issue exactly. You know, in my whole ministry, the emphasis is on the person of Christ and the persons of the Godhead. And I think even though it may hit some people's ears as semantics, you know, whether we see the Holy Spirit or any other member of the Godhead as a person or or not, it is very significant because it molds the mindset. I have a totally different mindset if I'm talking, you know, to an object or about an object than if I'm talking to a person or about a person. And I think even though people on the surface would probably answer very quickly, yes, of course I know the Holy Spirit is a person, but it is it experiential in that way for people. See, And I've often said that it's more difficult to see the Holy Spirit as a person because he's more mysterious. He is the spirit of God. Okay, But we have to realize that God is a spirit, period. And even the Father and the Son are spiritual beings. I get into that in my book, Who Are the Aliens, when I talk about the fact that the Godhead are celestial beings, even though they are one God, right? The scripture says that God said in Genesis, let us, it's interesting that it's plural, right? Yeah. In Genesis, let us create man in our image and after our likeness. So what is that likeness? Well, I, I contend that that likeness is personhood. And we have many scriptures that they give us that clearly. First about the father, you know, think about Moses. Moses wanted, he asked the father, and I believe it was the father who he was relating to in that scripture, when he wanted to see God, remember? And God said, you cannot look upon my face, for anyone who looks upon my face will surely die. But I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass before me, and you shall see my backward parts. The scripture talks about the hand of God. It talks about the arm of the Lord. Several prophets have been transported into the heavens and have seen the form of God, speaking of the Father, sitting on a great throne, and they've seen the form of a great man. 
So uh, it's not just that we have been created in God's image psychically or spiritually, okay? But there are even physical attributes that the Godhead has shared with human beings. And that's why it's declared in Genesis and also the other scriptures, Jubilees and Jasher, that cover the same material and in, in parts, that we are created in God's image and, and God has given us something of his nature, both within and without. Now, it's easy for us to grasp a lot. Well, let's say easier for us to grasp the father, okay, because whether we've had a good father or a bad father, whether he's been abusive or neglectful or even absent, we can still relate to a father figure. And even those who have not had a father have sought out father figures, and they know what they're looking for. Uh, the eternal son of man, okay, Jesus, who was incarnated in the flesh. It's also very easy for us to relate to Jesus because we relate to him as a person. He took on human flesh, all right? And we speak of him as also the eternal father. Isaiah talks of him as the eternal father. So we can relate to Jesus, and we have all the Gospels which present his, his person, okay? But the Spirit has been an enigma for the church, and the church's understanding, because of lack of revelation, the church has never been able to associate the spirit directly with a person. And that's because he's been associated with other elements and things which describe many of his workings, right, or his manifestations. Even in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we find in Acts chapter 2, he appears as cloven tongues of fire. Okay. In other scriptures, when Jesus spoke about the Spirit, he he spoke of the Spirit in terms of rivers of living water, and the Spirit's presence around the throne of God is often spoken about like a sea of glass or living waters, and in the heavens as well. I, I love in the Book of Enoch when he's transported into the heavens, he actually brought through two houses, which have fire and water, and crystal, and a sea of glass, and I believe that's all describing the manifestation of the person of the Holy Spirit. And also, of course, when we uh, look at the baptism of Jesus, for instance, John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus to his sensory perception in the form of a dove. So that's also become a symbol that Christians have used. You'll see since many ministries, even if they're Holy Spirit emphasized, if they're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit or whatever, they'll have a dove on there because they've, they're associating the Holy Spirit with that symbol. Well, this can be a negative factor because this can give us a distorted view of who the Spirit really is. And that's because we have a hard time relating to him as a person. But Christ spoke of him as a person. And I would just encourage the listeners, for instance, look at the monologue that Jesus speaks right before he's taken at his passion in, in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16. And the most important thing that he finds to share with his apostles before he's going to be taken to be crucified is about the person of the Holy Spirit that right. he would send, right? Also, in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection and just upon the time when he's about to ascend to the Father to sit at the right hand, once again, it's the most important subject that Jesus feels he needs to share with the disciples, that they need to receive the person of the Holy Spirit that he had already spoken to them, that it's necessary for him to go back to the Father so he can send them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, like you mentioned in the opening. And you're correct. Truth is a person. We quote it all the time in the churches, right? We quote that scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus spoke about himself as being the, the personage or the embodiment of truth. Okay, he also uh, uh, stood before Pilate, and Pilate asked him the question, what is truth? Jesus did not respond to that question because it was the wrong question. What is the truth? Because truth is not a what. Truth is not a commodity. And the church 
uh, is missing the mark on this because they're seeking truth as if it is a commodity, as if it is a, an uh, impersonal resource or a group of facts or information or intel or a law or rules and regulation or keys to the kingdom or all these things that we talk about, that truth is inanimate. But we see from the scripture, first in the person of Christ, that he is the truth, all right? And secondly, he said, yes, I have been the personage of truth for you when I've been on the earth, he said to his apostles. But now it's necessary that I go back to the Father so that I can send you the spirit of truth. I have been with you, but he shall actually be in you. And it's a person, he's a person that Jesus is speaking of. And that person is the one that he has sent to live in every believer. And he is the spirit of truth. So here we have Christian Sheila that are seeking feverishly after truth. And again, I want to stress that I believe that many of these people are not of an ill motive. They're not doing this for the wrong reasons. They're just ignorant. They don't have the revelation about the person of the Holy Spirit, and they don't have the revelation that truth is a person. They still think it's something that has to be mined out, that has to be discovered, kind of like the Holy Grail. And you have to understand that our enemy, of course, wants to keep it that way. If you were Satan and you knew that the person of the Holy Spirit was the key for power and wisdom and knowledge and revelation and love and compassion and healing and deliverance and on and on and on and on, okay, for the believer. If you were the devil, would you not want to cloud that in mystery and keep absolutely, it vague and keep it ambiguous and make it too high to attain and make Christians think that, the Holy Spirit is something fearful and mystical. And, oh, yeah, I can understand Jesus. Uh, he's the nice kind of effeminate father figure that's walking around in the heavens with a lamb in his hand. I can approach him. I can approach the old Zeus-like looking figure with the long beard. I can deal with that. I've seen that in movies. But the Spirit is scary for people. But he need not be, okay? There's another incarnation that has occurred and is occurring all the time. We always speak of the incarnation of the Son of Man or the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We know that he is spirit as well. The eternal Son of Man was in the heavens before the foundation of the world. We have that in the teachings of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, okay? And they, I believe, and I preach thusly, that they received this revelation from the book of Enoch. The prophet Enoch, who saw the eternal Son of Man in the heavens next to the Father. And he was escorted by the angel. And he asked the angel, I see the Ancient of Days seated upon the throne. He recognized him as God the Father. He said, but yet I see another who is like unto a son of man. Who is this other? And the angel shared with him, this is the eternal Son of Man, the concealed one, the elect one. Who's, in whose name the sinners shall be saved, okay, and the nations, he shall be a light to the nations, the same thing we see in Isaiah. Okay, well, this son of man, uh, let's go to John. What does John say? In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 16 of the Gospel of John, the first chapter, and the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us that we may behold the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Okay? So it was an incarnation. We know that from the virgin birth story of the Gospels, uh, that this spiritual being supernaturally and was actually conceived, the Scripture tells us, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was involved in that incarnation of placing the eternal son of man into the womb of this virgin teenager named Mary. And Jesus was the incarnation. But Jesus was the church on the earth, Sheila. He is the head and he was the body as well when he was on the earth. Okay, that's why there was no church 
while Jesus was on the earth. Absolutely. The church could not be birthed until Jesus, Jesus, the head of the church, returned, ascended to the Father, right? The scripture tells us in Colossians that he had the fullness of the Godhead in him bodily. So Jesus, when he was on the earth, was the head and the body. But Jesus returned to the right hand of the Father. He's still there as the head, but he is now shared. And I want the believers to hear this so they can get their identity and who they are in Christ. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all these letters attributed to the Apostle Paul preach this doctrine so clearly that Jesus has shared his glory and his power and his very person with his bride, with his body. We are now the body of Christ. So what Jesus had within him, the Holy Spirit without measure, when he was upon the earth representing the church, the ecclesia at that time, he has now shared with the body. So now he is the head is in the heavens, but we as his body are in the earth. But let's let's get the distinction here. When Jesus was on the earth, he was full of what? The spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So how would it be Jesus' intention to leave the earth and leave a body behind him that would no longer be filled to capacity? with the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, we know from Scripture that that was not his intention whatsoever. He tells us in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, what he intends to do, to send the Spirit of truth to fill the church. And he tells us again in Acts chapter 1, and he fulfills it in Acts chapter 2 by sending the Holy Spirit to birth the church. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. I don't know that many Christians really understand that. I think they think the church was already there and that this situation occurred to empower that generation alone, whatever error they've been taught, okay? But the bottom line is the church, the body of Christ on earth was birthed at the day of Pentecost when the person of the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus Christ, by the eternal Son of Man. He was sent by Jesus, and all the members of the church at that time that were representing who would be the seed of the church, who would be the first members of the church, the 120 we refer to all the time, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, every one of them. There weren't some of them were filled and others were left to work it out Gnostically in the power of their minds. And they were just going to be intellectual Christians and not need the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolute nonsense. The devil wants the church to believe that so he can have a powerless church as his enemy. But that is not what Jesus did. Even in Acts 1-5 there you see... For if John baptized with water, but not many days from now, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus essentially told them to wait for what the Father promised. And he goes on yeah. to say, then you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the very ends of the earth. He's essentially equating Danny the baptism and the infilling of God's power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And without the power, it's really, it's futile. I mean, it's useless. It's like a fan sitting in a room on a boiling hot day. And if that thing's not plugged in, then it's really pointless because 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us the natural man receiveth not the Spirit of God. Every believer is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the command. Exactly. And the thing is this, Christians today believe that scripture that you just quoted, the natural man, they think that's talking about a sinner, an unsaved person. But let us remember that Paul was not writing to sinners. No, he was not. It was not an evangelistic presentation. He was writing to Christians. And he was telling Christians that if they continue to walk in the power of their natural mind, they cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They will see them then as foolishness. 
because the only way that spiritual things can be understood, he said in earlier in the chapter, is comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man in his fallen intellect, whether he's a Christian in his confession or not, if he's still operating by his fallen intellect, then he will not receive the things of the Spirit of God, and he will see them as foolishness. Why? Well, Paul answers the question. He says because they are spiritually discerned, or they are discerned through the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures, right? In the book attributed to Peter, we have it clear where the scripture says that men of God were moved upon, the Spirit breathed upon them and inspired them to write the scriptures. So if I want to understand, right now you're interviewing me, right? And you've read my book. So you can't do better to understand what was meant in the writing of the book than By to talking speak to, to the, the author. author. <laughs> right? See? But people are not understanding that today. They're thinking they have to decode the Bible. And they're, you know, I mean, we've had all the way to the extremes 20 years ago, actually trying to find codes with computers in the Bible. Why do men go about all these crazy methods and mechanisms? Because they have not received the person of the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said will lead them into all truth. This is not a, a look for Waldo game. Jesus didn't say, look, you know, you guys try to figure it out. I'm cutting out. You <laughs> Jesus said, I'm sending you the spirit of truth and he will not speak of himself. This is another thing that's going on in the body where people want to divide the persons of the Godhead. Okay. Yes, they are three persons, but they are one. And this is the meaning of this saying in the law that Moses shared with the Jewish people that they've misunderstood. And all those who desire to put themselves under false Jewish bondage have misunderstood where the scripture says the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It doesn't say the Lord, our God is one person. It says the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. The Godhead is one. But they're correct, the Jewish people and the Muslims and others who deride Christians when they see Christians starting to act like polytheists, those who worship many gods, by splitting the Godhead up and saying one member of the Godhead has one message and one agenda and another member of the Godhead has a totally different message and a different agenda. And this is what people have done with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yet, what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16? He said the Holy Spirit, when he was sent by Jesus to indwell the believers of the ecclesia, the church, he would not speak his own message. He would not speak of his own something different. But what he heard from Christ, he would speak. And he would even bring to remembrance to the apostles what Christ had already spoken. For us, that applies to us in the scriptures. We have what Christ has already spoken recorded for us in the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit inspired that. And secondly, the Holy Spirit will continue to lead us into all truth. He will speak not of his own, but he will tell us what Christ has to say. So here's the question. If I do not have the spirit of truth living inside of me, if I have not received the kingdom of God, who is the person of the Holy Spirit, I don't have him inside me. I'm not able to hear what Christ has to say to me. How is Christ speaking to me? Well, the Gnostics of today's modern counterfeit church who believe only in Jesus and that they don't have to have the Holy Spirit as the scripture says, they believe that somehow Jesus is Gnostically speaking to them through the scriptures alone, okay? Or somehow mystically from the heavens, or they think they pray and Jesus is speaking to them from heaven. But that's not what the scripture says, and that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said he was sending another comforter, another counselor, another standby, another helper, the spirit of truth. And this spirit of truth would not even be next to us or just with us. 
but he would indwell us. And that brings us back to that incarnation that I started to talk about, where people have a hard time seeing the Holy Spirit as a person. Well, the Holy Spirit has also come into and inhabited and taken up residence in flesh and blood. Just like the eternal Son of Man did when he came, he took up residence and was manifesting himself through a flesh and blood body. Well, guess what? We are what? We are the body of Christ. And Jesus still wants to express himself through a body. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit to come and inhabit each member of his body individually and to inhabit, therefore, his body corporately, his worldwide body of Christ, corporately by the Holy Spirit possessing, inhabiting, indwelling. That's why the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a seal unto the day of redemption. It seals the deal. He is the down payment. He is the guarantee that Christ will redeem the whole vessel, right, at the resurrection. Right. But the Holy Spirit is already living inside of us. So therefore, we have an incarnation. So I tell Christians, if you want to have a better understanding of seeing the Holy Spirit as a person, instead of seeing him as this mystical presence, because even in the most enlightened and quote-unquote spirit-filled streams of the physical church of Jesus Christ today, people are still, the preachers themselves, are still speaking of the Holy Spirit as an it. They speak to him as the anointing, as the unction, as the gift or the gifts, the Shekinah, the glory. These things are all still impersonal. Why is that? Because they still have an Old Testament understanding or revelation of the Spirit's presence. I mean, in most charismatic churches, this is what they're waiting for when they speak of revival. They go back to the event in Solomon's temple where the Shekinah glory cloud filled the temple, speaking of a building at that time, and the priests could no longer stand to minister. And they understand that to be the highest form of the Spirit's manifestation amongst Christians under the New Covenant. This is absolute error. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is not outside of the New Testament believer. That is not Jesus' will. Under the Old Covenant, yes, he had to be. He even had to be shielded within the Holy of Holies behind a veil. But when Jesus said, it is finished, the debt is paid, sin was wiped out for those who would accept by faith, Christ's grace, and the blood would wash them free of their sin, the Holy Spirit was now made available to every believer. And the Holy Spirit has been sent by Jesus to inhabit the believer. So now we are the temple of God, and our spirits are the holy of holies. Now, I hear charismatic and Pentecostal preachers, they'll preach that, that our spirit is the holy of holies, yet they'll go in the next sentence and talk about, we want to see revival, we want the glory cloud to come in here, it's your kind of glory, and fill this temple, Lord, come Holy Spirit, fill this temple. Yeah, but we are the temple. <laughs> we are the temple, and we're already filled. <laughs> so why do we keep asking him to come? You know what would be crazy if I was on the show with you right now, right? And you keep inviting me to the show, right? So I'm on the show now. We've been on the show for a half hour. And every couple minutes you keep saying, Danny, welcome to the show. Danny, please come on to the show. Danny, please welcome, welcome to the show. Danny, please be on the show. And I say, Sheila, I'm here. I've been on the show. This is how the Holy Spirit feels in the supposed church of Jesus. They, he keeps being beckoned to come. But supposedly, he's already living on the inside of the people who are beckoning him to come. I uh, was in a service a few years ago, and it was so sad. The spirit was just, I could feel his heart breaking because this had been learned. And this was a charismatic Pentecostal church. And they were singing this retarded song, Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And they were, I mean, at one point, Sheila, I felt like I was at a uh, a native Indian rain dance. A powwow. 
Yeah, I mean, come, Holy Spirit, come. Then, you know, it was almost tongues, but not quite. And they were begging the Holy Spirit to come. And the Lord broke out in a prophecy through me to tell them, why do you keep begging me to come? I'm here. I'm inside some of you. Why are you looking toward the ceiling? Why are you looking toward the sky? Why are you asking me to do something that I've already done? Why are you so distant from me? Why do you see me as so cold and hard and far away and distant and not intimate and personal with you? I'm on the inside of you. Of course, that prophecy got shut down because, you know, they didn't know what else to do if that would be the case, because this was their whole program was to work up the spirit. But hopefully they got the message. And the message is that the Lord Jesus has already sent the Holy Spirit to bed. Now, some of them, and I'm, I'm talking to your audience now because it might be a large segment of your audience, okay? Some of them, they need that initial. They need to pray, come, Holy Spirit. They need that initial infilling. They need to ask Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to come and possess them, to come and inhabit them, to come and fill them, to come and baptize them, because they have never had this experience. So yes, initially, we do need the Holy Spirit to come in us, okay? But once he has come and he has manifested himself, according to Acts chapter 2, Yes, and I'm not going to apologize for it, and I'm not going to back up seeker-friendly, age of tolerance, political correct, phony church. I'm not backing up on it. Every believer, every member of the body of Christ is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in fire with evidence of speaking in tongues, just like the initial seed of the church did in the book of Acts. There is nothing that comes afterward in Scripture that tells us this is no longer the precedent. This is no longer the standard. Okay, And for the people that have allowed Satan to turn them into mental retards, to interpret 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, and tongues shall cease... Yeah, well, let's talk about that, though, because, Danny, that is one of my biggest, I guess, bone of contentions with a lot of Christians that argue with me constantly saying, no, no, tongues were just for that appointed time. Tongues have ceased. Tongues are optional. All who receive the Holy Ghost do speak with tongues, folks. Go to Corinthians 13, 8, folks, and notice that verse 8 is a prophecy that someday tongues will cease. There's no doubt about it, but... There will be a time, according to the Bible, when men will no longer speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. The question we got to answer here, Danny, is when did this prophecy actually state that tongues would cease? Verse 10 identifies that time, when that which is perfect is come. If you go to Revelation eleven thirteen, since prophecy has not yet ceased and since knowledge has not been discounted, then it's very evident that neither have tongues ceased. And it's also shown, since tongues have not ceased, that which is perfect, referred to there in 1 Corinthians thirteen ten, is not the New Testament. Jesus Christ was perfect, but he did not cause a halt to speaking in tongues. The gift of the Holy Ghost was perfect, yet the speaking with tongues accompanied the Holy Ghost. It was evidence by the Holy Ghost. So it's necessary for people to remember that when we stand face to face before the throne of God, there's not going to be any need to speak mysteries in the Spirit, is there? No, because we shall be like Christ, right? We will have the mind of Christ. Exactly. John says, we know not what we shall be, but this much we know. As he is, we shall be like him. He's the first fruits of the resurrected brethren, right? So we will be resurrected in the exact same form of him. And people can't grasp this because Satan has robbed the Christians of their identity. It's a false humility. It's a religious spirit, okay, which people think they're being humble by saying, well, we're not going to be Christ, there's only one Christ. Well, there's only one eternal Son of Man, the second member of the Trinity of God. But there are many anointed ones, 
And these anointed ones will be eternal anointed ones. Remember he gave the promise in the Gospels that those of us that are faithful, he will make us rulers over cities, yes. and nations, and so on and so forth. Why is he able to delegate that completely? Because we will be like him, right? We will be sinless. We will be all-powerful, full of the Holy Spirit. We will be eternal. We will be housed in a celestial body just like Christ is. That's why Paul speaks in the scripture so clearly. We are already seated in heavenly places with Christ. He has shared himself, his glory with us. This is the, the beauty of the gospel. That Jesus has, has made the way. And not only has he made the way, he doesn't have an eternal serfdom that's going to serve him, an eternal lower class of beings. No, he's sharing his glory with us. Okay, and, and please understand me. Of course, there is only one eternal son of man. Okay, but we shall be like him, just like him. What is Christ? He's sinless. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's a resurrected man. Well, we shall be all these things as well. What did Jesus have filling him when he was on the earth? The Holy Spirit. What are we supposed to have filling us, or who are we supposed to have filling us as believers on the earth? The Holy Spirit. We are his body. There's no division. Can you imagine a head just bouncing around? I mean, we know the old adage of a chicken without a head, right? So this is what's going on many times is that we're like a body like of a chicken running around in all different directions, desperately, fearfully dying because we don't have life because we've been separated from the head. So how crazy is that? That's what Jesus is saying to us. He's the head. And we are the body. There's no division. We've been grafted into what? What does the scripture say? We've been grafted into the body of Christ. Now, is Jesus decapitated? I mean, sometimes you got to look at these things in silly pictures. Can you see up in heaven right now, God the Father as a full being, head, arms, legs, whatever, sitting on his throne, and next to him a decapitated head on a throne? No, Jesus is one with his body and we are his body. That's why Paul says we are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Jesus says in Revelation, he who overcomes, I will cause him to sit with me in my throne. Okay, so what's the picture that we get? Do we have a picture of Jesus sitting on the throne with a whole bunch of us piled on top of him sitting on his knees? Is that what he means when he says, I will cause you to sit with me in my throne? No, what he means is, you are my body. We are one. So as I sit in my throne with my head and my body, my body is part of me sitting in my throne. We are what? What does Paul call us? Co-heirs. What is a co-heir? A co-heir has the same exact inheritance as the heir. Not an inferior inheritance. The same. And this is what Jesus has done for us. And we can't understand this because we have not taken seriously his injunction that we should not rule as the heathen rule. Because we have phony preachers and fivefold ministers and caliphates and papacies and colleges of cardinals and on and on and on acting like they are superior to the rest of the body. And therefore, we think that Jesus has that attitude. But what was the attitude that Jesus told us to have? He told his disciples, I don't want you to have that attitude. I want you to have the attitude of a servant. But this was offensive to the flesh, wasn't it? Peter got offended, right? The first pope was pissed off when Jesus yeah. took a towel and a bucket of water and got down on his knees and hallelujah, he wanted to wipe the feet of his servant. Peter was upset about that. See, but Peter had not yet received the Holy Spirit, had he? So the flesh was upset at that. So we have men today pretending to be Peters, pretending to be men of God, 
you know, ordained by the state ministers who are walking in the power of their flesh, their fallen intellect and the pride of the flesh, who are offended by that servant demonstration of leadership. Yet, this is the demonstration that our Savior gave us, our Lord gave us. In fact, he told Peter, when Peter piped up like that and got so arrogant, he said, you know what, pal? If you don't allow me to do this, you're not even going to have to worry about it because you're not going to be in my kingdom. And then Peter broke, right? And he said, Lord, not just my feet, but my head and my hands. So we saw the true humility of that apostle, all right? But this is the thing that's going on today. People are walking in the arrogance of their flesh, and they understand leadership to be that way. This is transference. We transfer that now unto God. If this is the way the people act who supposedly represent God, then this has to be God's attitude as well, right? So we see Jesus as this, you know, we love to talk about him as the conquering king, you know, the son of David, and he shall have a scepter in his hand, and he shall rule with a rod of iron. And yes, that's true on one side. That will be the manifestation to those who are not of him, who will be subdued by his power, by his government in the millennial kingdom, the nations that are left over, those who are not destroyed in the time of Armageddon, who are left upon the earth, who survived, kind of a Mad Max crowd that's left over. They will be ruled with a rod of iron and a scepter, okay, and will submit to Christ in that way. But those of us who are being grafted into his body, he's not going to rule us with a rod of iron and a scepter of dictatorial monarchy because we're one with him, you see? And for those who can receive it, I share another mystery with you. Are we not also indirectly grafted into the Godhead itself? <gasps> what are you saying? That we're God? No. What I'm saying is we've been grafted into the Godhead. Well, how can you say that? What do you mean? Well, if we are the eternal container of the person of the Holy Spirit, then are we not part? of the Godhead indirectly. We are housing the third person of the Godhead within our very beings. And this is the mystery and this is the glory that Christians should be getting in touch with and seeking out the revelation of. Christ is sharing his glory with us, Sheila. Okay, but we're so busy wanting to be patriotic and wanting to defend the nations of this earth that he's coming to judge and see our identity taken up in being an American or being a Canadian or being an Englishman or being a German or being a Chinaman or whatever it might be, okay? We don't understand who, what our true identity is. We are Christians. What does that mean? Well, the root word is Christ, right? Ano the anointed one. So we are Christians. We are the anointed ones or little Christ. We are of Christ. We are part of Christ. We are one with Christ. What does Paul write about in his letters? We are in him. He is in us. There's no division. So the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. He's possessing us. We are containing him within our very beings. So there's no separation. And there's nothing in the scripture that tells us, and upon that day, the Holy Spirit shall depart from the vessels of the believers. There's nothing there that says that. Why would it even say that in 1 Corinthians 14 too? For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. What would be the purpose? 1 Corinthians 14 too there, you know, it kind of nails it. It's kind of the final nail in the coffin. And how did the apostles know when Cornelius's household received it in Acts 10, 46? Well, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. What other proof do we need here, Danny? Well, again, when we talked about the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Paul talks about it more in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, where he says that the wisdom of man is foolishness to God, and the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. These two things are diametrically 
opposed. They cannot link to each other. And this is the problem with so-called believers, so-called Christians who refuse what we're talking about today, and they remain walking, as Paul said, as mere men. They're walking in the powers of their natural intellect. Therefore, he also says they are actually at odds with God. They are at war with God through the carnality of their natural mind. Even if they believe in God, even if they believe that Jesus died for their sins and they worship him, all right, they sing to him, they praise him, they try to follow him in the industry of their their flesh, their carnal Gnostic mind and the works of their hands, and they do it as unto him, not as unto other gods, as unto Jesus, as unto the Father, but Nevertheless, they're still at enmity with God because they're walking in the power of their fallen natural intellect. That's why the scripture says we, our minds have to be renewed, okay, by the washing of the water of the word of God. But who does the washing, Sheila? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But the point is that when Paul reveals the chief characteristics of the coming Antichrist, that puts me in mind to these people that are, you know, they're if they're opposing God or the word of God or exalting themselves above God, meaning they're just going to pick and choose whatever they want. People who then reject the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the infilling, the gifts, etc., they're directly opposing God, literally if Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, as Danny's established, then they're rejecting Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they're electing their own intellect above the spirits. That's really, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Sure it is. And it speaks of the man of sin, right? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is what you're referring to. What does it say about the man of sin? It says that he will exalt himself above God. That's that arrogant attitude. And that he will sit in the seat of the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Makes himself right? God in God's temple, yeah. Makes himself God in God's temple. Okay, well, I mean, let's look at the origins of the counterfeit church. Look at the Pope over there in the Vatican. What is his position? What has he usurped? He calls himself the vicar of Christ, the representation of Christ on earth. His word is even held above the scriptures, right? When he speaks, he is Pontifex Maximus to those who worship through the agency of the Roman Catholic cult. All right. He has usurped the place of God, the Holy Spirit. And that spirit of Antichrist, therefore, he is of the spirit of Antichrist. Okay. And all those who have come out from under the auspices of the mother whore, whether they call themselves Protestant churches, uh, seeker friendly, non denominational, it doesn't matter. The other uh, offspring of, of the mainline churches that sometimes we refer to as cults, it doesn't matter which. The bottom line is if they're still operating without the Holy Spirit, like we're talking about, then they are operating as the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. Even if they're trying to keep the law, yes, I'm talking to you non-pork eaters. I'm talking to you Sabbath observers. You can try to keep the law of Moses all you want, but remember what James said. If you offend in one point of the law, you are guilty of all the law, and you're trying to fulfill the wrong law anyway, because the New Testament tells us that the law that we are to fulfill is the law of liberty and love in Christ Jesus. And the only way to fulfill that law is through the person of the Holy Spirit. So if we reject the person of the Holy Spirit, then we are the lawless one. We are the man of sin who takes up the place of God in the temple, we make ourselves God in our temple instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to take up his place as God in the temple. And this is the spirit of what we like to refer to as Antichrist. This is the spirit of Antichrist, denying that Christ has come in the flesh. I want to take that to a deeper revelation tonight because we all have only understood that this way. Those who deny that Jesus actually came 
and was a man, was born of the virgin birth and walked on the earth, was resurrected and so on and so forth. That they deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. But let's take it deeper. What of those who deny that Jesus through the Holy Spirit has now come and take up residence in the flesh? In this incarnation of the Holy Spirit coming into his body, is that not also denying that Christ has come in the flesh? He has entered into flesh and blood and inhabited it and taken up his seat in the spirit of man. So therefore, as you're saying correctly, Sheila, those who reject that and seat their own intellect, their own religious knowledge, their own pride and arrogance, as Lucifer did, okay, in the temple, they become the man of sin, the lawless one, okay? And therefore, what will Satan try to do through this individual who will be a representative of a whole race, just as Christ is the head and we are the body, this antichrist figure, okay, that we refer to as Satan incarnate, will be the head of the satanic body. Who's his body? The whore of Babylon that we're told about in Revelation 17 and 18. This whore laid out on her back. Well, what spirit will she receive? She will also be indwelt by a spirit. Okay, and what spirit will that be? That will be the spirit of the man of sin, the spirit of the lawless one. So I tell the people tonight, even if they claim to worship Jesus Christ and read the Bible and believe it and go to a Christian church, if they reject Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit, then they have left their house empty, swept and clean, as Jesus talked about, to be filled by the spirit of of antichrist and they will hear me well those who reject the holy spirit they will ultimately be deceived by the strong delusion and they will take the mark of the beast into their right hand or their forehead and the spirit of demons will enter into them and they will receive i believe even demonic or satanic or fallen angelic DNA into their very temples and they will become the whore of Babylon, the bride of Satan. And that's why the scripture says they will therefore be irredeemable. Anyone who receives, who worships the beast and pays homage to him and receives the mark of the beast is no longer a candidate for eternal salvation. They are eternally damned. Why? Because they have done the contrary to what Jesus commanded for his body to do, which is to receive the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit into their temple. Instead, they have received the spirit of Satanael. They have received the spirits of fallen devils, demons, and they will become Nephilim, hybrid, a mixed aberration, no longer retaining the image of God. They will therefore be damned. They will only be able to go to the lake of fire just like the Nephilim of old. Why? Because they are not created in the image of God and they right. cannot be accepted. So I'm saying to people out there, don't take this rejection of the person of the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit lightly. For you may be very well may be accused of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because you, through your denial, whether it be through commission of literally blaspheming and saying, oh, that's, that's speaking in tongues is demons. Okay, that's committing the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven, attributing the works of the personal Holy Spirit to Satan. Or you can do that by the sin of omission which is denying Christ in a passive way. We call it passive-aggressive, right, in modern psychology, where we say, well, I'm just, I'm just indifferent. I'm on the fence about it. Well, when you fall off it, you're going to land in the lake of fire because God has not taken any fence climbers or fence sitters into the eternal kingdom. So people, please, please 
Don't take this lightly. They absolutely cannot, especially in the time we're living in now. They have to receive it because, and don't forget Romans 8, 14 says, for as many that are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. There is a spirit of bondage and it will lead you if you let it, but we're to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I believe one of the reasons why people are not hearing from the Holy Spirit is because they're not paying attention to what the word is saying here. Obedience is huge in hearing from the Holy Spirit. The word holy in the title of the Holy Spirit obviously denotes reverence and respect and holding in very high esteem. And if people will be led of him, he will lead people out of that confusion into light, lead people out of death into life, out of the fruitlessness into fruitfulness and many people got to quit being head led in what they're doing i mean they're feeling led emotion led they're circumstance led but look at jesus he was spirit led he wasn't calamity led circumstances led and fear led but holy spirit led danny for listeners who are saying okay so i i've been rejecting this i need i need to receive the baptism of the holy spirit danny please lead the listeners who have never received the baptism of the holy spirit would you lead them into a prayer now yes holy spirit you have been here with us the whole time and as jesus said where two or three are gathered together in his name there he is in our midst and he was speaking of your presence within us lord and I pray for the precious listeners tonight, whether they're believers in Christ already or not. If they have heard your call tonight, Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask you to make yourself real to them. I ask you to manifest your presence to them, even as you did to me when I was ignorant of who you were. I didn't start out knowing all this, what I'm talking about tonight. But you loved me, Lord, and you wooed me, and you romanced me, and you drew me, Lord. You culled me, and I ask you to do this with these precious listeners, these believers tonight, Lord. And I pray that you would move upon them to set themselves apart, to go to a quiet place and allow you, Holy Spirit, to begin to love on them and begin to manifest yourself to them and reveal yourself to them. And I pray in Jesus' name that they would open up their spirits and their hearts and their minds to allow you, Holy Spirit, to come in and to cooperate with you, that as you begin to manifest your power and your presence upon them, that they would allow you to come in, Lord, and they would cooperate. And as you give them the power, as you give them the ability, the utterance, as the scripture says, the ability to speak in heavenly tongues, they will, in obedience and in unity with you, begin by faith to speak in heavenly tongues. As Paul said, I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Lord, if there's anyone on here tonight right now that is so full of faith from hearing this message that they are ready to receive this right now, in the name of Jesus, I say, be filled in the Holy Spirit right now. Receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire right now. Receive it in Jesus' name, the breath of God. In the name of Jesus right now, be filled from the deepest part of your being. The rivers of living waters flow out of your belly right now. Speak in tongues in Jesus' name. Speak in tongues and glorify and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father. Right now, Holy Spirit, stay with these people even as this program ends that are in prayer right now and finish the work, Holy Spirit, and let Sheila receive the reports that those that were listening received you, Holy Spirit, with all the evidence that you bring. And we just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, please send Danny an email tonight. We do want to receive those reports. Please do shoot us an email. Danny's information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. And also, please prayerfully consider financially supporting what I think is one of the most anointed ministries out there, a true apostolic ministry. Dr. Morano is an amazing teacher. And again, folks, do get his books it is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. And for those who want the website, it is godisnotreligious.net. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, Danny. Thank you, Sheila. It's been a blessing. Thank you very much. Folks, that was Dr. Danny Morano. His information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. 
And just a reminder that the Wednesday prayer group, we'd love you to join us in that. We really do need to be praying as a body. And so every Wednesday, in fact, tonight at 6 p.m. Pacific time, that's 9 p.m. Eastern time, we pray every Wednesday. And if you go to my website and on the right-hand side and go down, it says join our prayer team. The number is there. Please disregard the time. I'm getting that changed. But it is, again, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern, every Wednesday night. We pray together. Holy Ghost-filled Christians, and it is very powerful. And I would love you to join us in that. Prayer is powerful, folks. Tomorrow, Nathan Liel drops by for a bombshell. It's going to be a great show. Good night and God bless.